So Shreyas, um, any teams that you're betting for Qatar's, you know, World Cup? Are you watching? I uh, have never followed soccer in my life, but every time the U.S. wins anything, I uh, I cheer. You you just cheer. I I do a little cheer. Internally. You don't watch any sports. No, no, I uh, I just like. Uh, so the World Cup is happening this exactly, year. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well, Protests are oh. taking place against Qatar's World Cup because of alleged human right violations in the country. There is a lot of uh, anti-LGBTQ legislation in Qatar, which is run by an, uh, an Emir uh, royal family. And uh, people were upset, and they said we should boycott it, we should not go, we shouldn't watch it on TV, don't support the teams. And it's interesting because I feel like saying you're not going to watch men's soccer because you're supporting gay rights is like, it's like... uh, Not a lot of people are doing it, that's what I want to say. I feel like... A lot of people. Yeah, this on is a the very side. small subsect of people on Twitter who probably don't watch soccer to begin with. <laughs> no, but I feel like a lot of people might actually be more like, oh, I, I. They are activists outside, but it's the World Cup. Like you know, it's like the most watched sporting event. In in the entire world, so like, what are you gonna do with that? And I think Qatar knew that going in. And that's why they kind of had this whole bidding process and has been honestly able to kind of escape all the blame. Like if you ultimately search up the World Cup, you're not going to see people holding banners, protesting against all that Qatar has been doing. Instead, you're going to be seeing that American person who literally injured himself scoring a goal. Mm -hmm. Like they're... Qatar is actually doing what they set out to do by wanting to host this World Cup and I think that's ultimately, you know, modernizing their image and pro- like showing themselves off to the world. Um, and more importantly, like, you know, getting on par with their rival Dubai. Yeah. Qatar definitely put themselves on the global map with this move. And they've been courting FIFA for many years now to get the necessary votes to win the bid. And they weren't expected to win. There's a lot of a lot of controversies surrounding them. They're a very small country. They're smaller than the state of Connecticut. Yeah, that's and, crazy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Connecticut, but not a lot going on there. And millions of people fly in to see this game. You need to be able to house those people, feed those people, make sure you have enough infrastructure to transport those people in and out of games. The uh, commissioner of FIFA, after they gave it to Qatar, there were so many issues that started coming up that he said that he actually rejected giving it to Qatar, but at that point, it was too late. And some of the reasons why Qatar was able to get it was one, they started this ACE Academy where they would train young people in soccer and sports. Mm-hmm. They saw sports as this opportunity to put themselves on the world stage because it's the most watched sport in the world, soccer, or football as they call it everywhere else. And coincidentally, a lot of the countries that they put a lot of investment into were countries that they needed to sway to get a vote from yeah, there to was win a, the bid. There was even like controversy surrounding whether or not there had been bribery amongst yep, yep. FIFA officials. And uh, FIFA, you know, they're known for the long-standing uh, ethics, so <laughs> they were very upset about these allegations. Um, but when, when it started coming out about more of the uh, women's rights and gay rights issues, there, there was some controversy surrounding that. 
but I think a lot of that has dwindled down now. Um, people talked about it a lot earlier on, and it's interesting because people from the U.S. I think love to say things like, you know, we shouldn't support this because what they're doing there to their people is wrong. But we get thousands of barrels of oil from them every single year, and we have been the last few years. We're going to continue doing that. And it's kind of one of those situations of you can't have your cake and eat it too, that we want to gain what we can from this country, which is cheap energy, but we also want to, you know, Hold wag our finger ball. against them saying, oh, like we are, better uh, than you. Mm, yeah, we have better moral practices than you. And I think that brings up a lot of the questions. I mean, Qatar is one of the richest countries in the world, and that is because of their gas reserves. And we can't ignore the death of migrant workers during the process of building what has become this large World Cup. You know, like there was a lot of, a lot of lack of infrastructure beforehand. 90% of Qatar's total workforce are migrant workers. I mean, like for this World Cup, Qatar put a lot of money in to source these migrant workers and also they treated them awfully, you know. There was a sponsorship system that required laborers to ask employers permission to switch jobs, open bank mm -hmm. accounts, even return home. But also at the same time, could we be, I guess, blasting Qatar too much? Because Qatar has introduced new labor laws and since, yeah. since 2020 right. and set a minimum wage. And these are the most work-friendly new policies in the Gulf region. So to your point, you know, Qatar should definitely be blasted for what they have done, but also to what extent is it that we're only recognizing their flaws but not actually holding them accountable? I agree. I think Qatar is a country in the Middle East that obviously wants to westernize and modernize, not obviously as much as a Western country, but I think the best example is that Al Jazeera, a major global uh, journalism mm -hmm. company, is based out of Qatar. It was started by the government. And it's a trusted brand here in the West. People look to them for journalism um, and great reporting. And I think a great sign of Qatar's commitment to having a, more of an open press than the neighboring countries is that Saudi Arabia and Iran and countries near them constantly uh, press against Qatar for having something like Al Jazeera, which they call a Qatari uh, propaganda mouthpiece, mm. and for criticizing Saudi Arabia and Iran. And it went as far as a few years ago, they, these Middle Eastern countries, a lot of them fully embargoed uh, Qatar to the point where Qatar had to sanction in bread and beans and turkey so they can feed in their people because they had completely been embargoed by all of their neighbors. And a large part was because they see Qatar as moving too quickly, too fast towards the West. And things like Al Jazeera and wanting to host a global cup only serve against their means in the region, but for our means here. So I, I agree, Qatar should not be so, people shouldn't be so quick to criticize a country that started off just 20 years ago in a completely different place where it is now and is able to use its resources to host some really incredible things. They host a science expo every year, right. economic forums for global leaders to promote the exchange of thought. It's clear that they want to become a global, modernized world center. Let's talk about the history of cheap labor in these areas. So when Qatar won the bid to build the World Cup stadiums, they had to, from sand and dust, build 
eight beautiful, ginormous stadiums that would be able to resist the Arab desert heat. And the way they said they would do that is they would build these new stadiums that would air condition, uh, I don't know the metric they use for air, gallons of air, like thousands of gallons of air per minute uh, to cool down the area. And they're hosting it in November rather than July as they've done every other time they've had the World Cup. And also what they needed to do is build these as quickly and as cheaply as possible. And then came all the reports. Qatar was bringing in these people from South Asia and Southeast Asia who were very low-income, low-skilled workers on the promise that they'd be able to bring money back to their homes. They'd come here to Qatar to work on stadiums, get it built, and their passports would be taken away. Or they would be thrown into very suboptimal living conditions. And even after the reforms that you talked about, Qatar is a country where I believe 80% are expats who live there, and only the few that are actually uh, citizens of Qatar, they get they get great benefits. They're free healthcare, free education, they don't pay taxes, everything is paid for by the state because they own money. But all these people come to work there and uh, work on the stadiums and the infrastructure are treated as these third-class citizens right. where the treatment they receive is awful. Uh, there's a report that just in the last few years, 400 migrant workers have died because of awful wow. living conditions. And this is something that is not just the case in Qatar. It's something that's pretty general in the Middle East to bring in low-income workers from Asia and have them work for pennies a day in awful conditions. And they get camped in these awful little dormitories far away from the city where people can't see them. And just because Qatar has resolved this, I think we should absolutely celebrate that and not pretend that it's um, not a big deal. But it's also worth noting that we are great beneficiaries from abuses of labor around the world. That we will enjoy watching these beautiful stadiums and have our teams compete there. And, you know, Dubai has a lot of the same, Dubai and Abu Dhabi have the same problems of having their buildings built by very questionable sources of labor. But we still, you know, love to do business with them. And we do space contracts with them and all these different things. It's, it's interesting because it's very easy for us to impose higher living conditions as a wealthy country for our own workers, but we still benefit from the cheap labor around the world as long as it's not done under our name. Um, another thing that I think at least was interesting is how politicized sports have become. Mm-hmm. And it would be a mistake to say sports have never been politis- political, like, you know, this is the first time, but there is a long trending history of, you know, athletes using their voices to show important political matters. But also, especially right now, for example, the U.S. game against our Iran, there was a lot of tension, not just because, you know, it was who's going to win. It was also the fact that an Iranian reporter literally asked a player who was black, whether or not he felt comfortable representing a country that right. discriminates against I black think, people. I think that's a, that's a really good point because I think countries obviously try to superimpose what their agendas are onto the games. The U.S.-Iran game, I mean, that just, the, the one that happened a few days ago, it just feels so politically charged. Right. The U.S. and Iran going head-to-head, and then we beat them narrowly. 
Oh. And uh, at the end, the uh, Iranian team didn't sing their national anthem, probably in solidarity with all the protests that are happening there right now. And there was reports that when they go back to their country, if they, if they go back, that they could get beaten and even jailed. And I mean, that's just insane that uh, these are the implications surrounding a, a sports game. And it almost makes you feel bad that I was, I was at the GMT Tavern and was like cheering for the U.S. to win. And at least you kind of feel bad that you're there. And, uh, you know, if the U.S. team lost or even drew, like, who cares? Like, we would have been fine. We would have lived on. I, those people I don't know have, about you. The I stakes are so high for I would have been mad. If, if the, I saw a U.S. soccer team player return back. And you would have physically win. beaten them yourself yes. and possibly jailed them. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. you know, that's good. That's how you have accountability. But I think it's just interesting to see how the government or Iran's government would have used their success to also boost their propaganda within the country. And I, I see that a lot with a lot of these different countries, too. Like, you know, you're kind of able to take this sporting event where how well a team does within this like national sporting in Olympics, too, you know, and kind of use that fact to distract what might actually be happening internally and domestically. Um, I think there's a term that people have coined called sports washing, Mm -hmm. where authoritative nations buff up their image despite serious criticism over their political system and human rights performance by wooing the world through sports. Right. And we've seen that with China too in the Olympics like 2008 and you know in 2022 like having to host these ostentious amazing events to make up for the fact that there's some serious bad things also happening within the country. Yeah. Basically that it's a way for them to show to the world what they're capable of and hide and sweep under the rug all the things that are... Yeah, and, you know, we're going to do the same thing when we host the World Cup in Los Angeles in a few years. We're going to pretend that Los Angeles is this beautiful, perfect, you know, mega city, super city. So I think it's kind of the way it goes. You know, something interesting, now that you mentioned China, is... uh, When do we not talk about China? Somehow all roads lead to China. (laughs) Is uh, that Chinese state TV is not showing pictures of the audience at the uh, World Cup games because they're all unmasked. And they don't want to show that the rest of the world is completely unmasked, just on top of each other, screaming and spitting on top of each other (laughs) while they still have all their protests going on right now in China. Yeah, so we'll get more into that hopefully next week. Um, You know, that's actually how the protests started. Um, Because the World Cup? A lot of people were mad by seeing images of the World Cup and saying, why what? do they have that and why don't we? Was why that? does Qatar, this this small Connecticut little region, yeah. able to host huge events and have no masks while we, the quote-unquote best nation in the world, you know, not allow that? Mm. So was the World Cup the That's way the a lot reason. of people found out that the rest of the world had gone past COVID? I'm sure they already knew. They knew, but it was just the tipping point, I would say. Yeah. Also with the, the fire imagery. and yeah. a lot of the other things. Like, you know, it's wow. a lot of things building on to one another. That's really interesting. Yeah, but this game, I don't want to put too much emphasis on it. Also, I think, shows that there has been like a global shift in power and also accountability for one, I think it marks the beginning of who is going to be in power in the future. And you know, in 
historically at least for like these big sporting events only the best or the richest countries you know the most well-known countries are able to host or have the economic economic means to build amazing stadiums and host all these different people you never see i guess or we never did see like centers in the middle east india and china host these mega events and now we're seeing that so in terms of the global shift in power it's it's still true though that like the u.s like russia held the olympics like a few years ago um and a lot of uh non like non-major non-g7 countries hold the world cup or hold various like olympic sports so it's it's i think it's hard to argue that we're uh seeing a huge global shift in power through the World Cup. Yeah. But I do think that it also really helps contextualize America's place in the world right. because soccer is not a big deal here, but it is the most watched sport in the world. And, you know, half a billion will watch it in China and billions of people around the world will watch it, whereas not, not, a, not the biggest thing here in the U.S. We care a lot more about our baseball and football. I think it's a, it's a humbling reminder that the world doesn't orient around us. Do you think that's why the U.S. is putting more emphasis on their soccer teams now? Maybe. I think I think that's also because we got the bid for L.A. <laughs> like, oh, and fuck. it's like, yeah, we got to make our we, teams we kinda, better. We, have to, like, <laughs> we have to make it into the World Cup that we are going to host. How embarrassing would it be to like be hosting and then be kicked out? Oh, that's what happened to Qatar. Never mind. That is actually <laughs> sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like ultimately this World Cup doesn't just show soccer. That's what we focus on but underlying issues such as what you mentioned like the abuse of cheap labor all of these things that are actually happening and are detrimental to human rights and everything else in general like you know lgbtq issues they're just kind of swept under the rug and how long will we continue to let that happen i think forever you think sports are only politicized for a few minutes, and then the minute we get that goal in, we're like, ah, fuck human rights. Well, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think you have to see how much you can actually win in these kinds of things. And uh, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. that We can close on this, that, like, the fact that the U.S. and Iran, like, uh, people can come together in a single stadium to cheer on to the respective sports or sorry the respective teams playing a sport is really a beautiful thing because i think it symbolizes how much the issues that we have with each other in the world is our government versus their government but not our people versus their people yeah that was that was a good way to end <laughs>